and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. Your <laughs> readings and welcome to a special NL Central, AL Central season preview edition of Starkville. I'm Jason Stark, joined by my good friend Doug Glanville. Uh, but Doug, in a couple of minutes, you should know I'm going to abandon you because I'm going to spend most of this show leading a discussion of those two divisions with 10 writers who cover the NL Central and AL Central for The Athletic. In other words, for a change, we'll actually have people who know stuff on this show. <laughs> but first, I do want to get your take on these two divisions. Let's start with the NL Central. I honestly don't know how to handicap this one because the Cubs, Cardinals, Reds, and Brewers are so hard to separate on paper. So how do you see the NL Central? You know, I, I decided that I'm going to take a coin and flip it five times Yeah, and just see what happens. I mean, it, it's a, a very evenly matched division in many ways. You know, the Reds have improved. And that's the team I'm bullish on because they have a combination of a very deep offense and also, they have some arms that have had a lot of success throughout uh, time in this game. And that's a great combination. Uh, they have a, a bonafide closer. So that's my dark horse of, in really all of baseball, the Cincinnati Reds. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I see them making the, the postseason, they're making the playoffs out of the Central. Um, and and I, I think from there, I'm just going to throw out there that whoever's the healthiest <laughs> will get to the postseason as the wildcard team out of the remainder of those teams. Because I do think another team will come out of the Central. Uh, oh, I'm totally with you on that. We'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, what about the AL Central? Uh, the Twins feel like they're on the cusp of being a super team. If their pitching takes another step and they can just stay healthy. Uh, the Indians are still really good. Uh, the White Sox and Royals should be better, honestly. What's your take on the AL Central, Doug? Well, my other dark horse American League style is the Chicago White Sox. Uh, they have an offense that's highly aggressive, but also does damage when they put the ball in play. And I just think their youth is, is exploded. You know, the success of a guy like Jimenez who came on the scene, and now you have Lewis Robert, or Luis Robert coming out of the shadows. So, um, you know, they get some pitching, they're going to go far. So I think that's my sort of sleeper squad. And, uh, you know, I was I was bold last week, so I got to be condi- consistent. I, I had the Twins not making it. Sorry, Minnesota fans out there. Um, <clears throat> for no other reason other than thinking the White Sox are going to surpass them this season. Uh, so that's where I'm at right now. What do you think? <laughs> I disagree with you. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I just I think the Twins are really good, uh, really good. But um, that's why they play. It's going to be interesting, man. And you know what else is really interesting? Listening no. to people 
who see these teams every day. Uh, so they get to bring us that next level insight that our amazing cast of baseball writers at The Athletic are so world famous for. So I'm going to take this from here uh, and then tap into the wisdom of the great writers who cover the NL Central and AL Central for our site. But Doug, you will be back at the end of this show as you and I give our predictions for these two divisions. We need some kind of prediction for you about your team and some player to watch on your team who's kind of an X factor, but try to make it not one of the usual suspects, if you know what I mean. Let's go live to the Arboretum in Minnesota where Dan Hayes has been waiting to talk. Uh, Arboretum in Chicago, actually. Yeah, uh, I know. I'm, I was going to cover made for the, you, man. Hey, I made the drive yesterday. <laughs> we opened in Chicago, so... Um, no, the Twins are going to win the division. That's my my prediction. But it won't be easy. Uh, they don't have the best rotation in the division. That goes to Cleveland. The White Sox probably can challenge them for deep uh, the depth of the lineup. Uh, but the Twins have improved their infield defense. They added Josh Donaldson. Yes, there's a possibility of regression with some guys like Mitch Garver. Donaldson's 34. Nelson Cruz turned 43 weeks ago. But there's just too many guys in the middle of that lineup that are in their 25 to 28 years, whether it's Buxton, Sano, Kepler, Polanco, Rosario. Uh, Luis Arise is only 22, maybe turning 23. Um, there's just so much offense there that can keep going, and, and they have enough pitching because that bullpen got so much better when Sergio Romo came over last year in the trade. It's an unknown bullpen. Uh, I think you know Taylor Rogers had a really good year last year, but Tyler Duffy came on strong in the middle of the year. Trevor May had a fantastic last two months. The, the guy I think is their X factor is Rich Hill. You know, they started Randy Dobnak in game two of the uh, ALDS last year, very famously the Uber driver, because Michael Pineda was suspended and he had been their best pitcher at the time. If Rich Hill is healthy, and again, this is another guy where it's a big question mark, and I, that's why I don't think they're slam dunk. But he's, you know, he's 40, he's coming off elbow surgery, but he hit 91 the other day, and, and he's sitting 88 to 91, and he's grunting, and, and you have a guy that can really give them a higher-ed pitcher to, to go in that game one or game two of an ALDS and wouldn't have had Brandy Dobnak last year. I think, you know, they're just, they're just a really talented, deep team that I think over 162 that really would have shown. And the 60 games allows for some randomness and allows teams that maybe aren't as deep to – play catch-up, um, but, you know, the Twins, I think, just have the most talent of the group. We all root for Rich Hill. And if, if Andy were here, Andy McCullough, moderating this <laughs> one, he would just burst into tears, just at the mere mention of him. But I'm going to try to keep it together and go to Zach in Cleveland. So I'm going to say bold prediction would be Francisco Lindor wins the MVP. Um, he really doesn't have a hole in his game. I mean, he hits for average, hits for power. He's a gold-glove winning shortstop. And the sort of player where – I mean, if he just doesn't have a week-long slump, because that can derail your season this year, um, he stands a chance to win an MVP. I think Mike Trout is actually going to be hurt this year just because there's not enough time for him to, you know, put it together a 10-war season, so you'll have other contenders. <laughs> so, you know, the interesting thing, too, is then you have to ask yourself, well, are the, the Indians going to trade an MVP winner, you know, a month after he wins the award? But, again, we can talk about that later. Um, the wild card for this team, uh, he might be the most important player on the team this year, which is crazy because he's made five appearances in the major leagues. But James Karinchek throws 96 to 99 and then has just an absolutely nasty curveball. 
and you want F-bombs, Dan Hayes? This guy shouts into his glove after every at-bat. It doesn't matter what happened in the at-bat. He struck out the side last night, and after each strikeout, like you could hear the F-bomb louder and louder, um, and you would think that he gave up a, a game-winning grand slam, but he really just struck out three in a row. So he's huge because they don't have guys in the bullpen with long track records. They don't have any other hard throwers because Emmanuel Class A, who they got for Corey Kluber, is suspended for the season. So they need Karen Check to bridge the gap to Brad Hand. And if they can do that, you can pair a good bullpen with a good rotation, and maybe this team can go places. Now that's a good one. Uh, now, Robert Temple has to run here because he's got some stuff to cover on the Pirates. So we're going to break up the order, go out of order, and go to Robin Pittsburgh. My bold prediction is the Pirates will sign Dietrich, Trent. No, no, they're not going to do that. My bold prediction would <laughs> be fantastic. He's available. Wouldn't it? Good I mean, it would, be, it would be great. It, would be, uh, it couldn't be any worse than the clubhouse than it was at times last year. So maybe we really would have some, some brotherhood and peace and harmony in there for a change. We're not. Um, now my bold prediction is that Brian Reynolds wins the National League batting title. Um, this is a guy who, you know, I watched him last year as, as a rookie, and no one knew what to expect. I mean, he came up on the same day as Cole Tucker. Tucker was the former number one pick a couple of years ago for the Pirates, and there was all the hoopla. And I remember them rolling into PNC Park in one of those little motorized carts, and Tucker was smiling and waving, and, and Reynolds was just kind of sitting there looking down at his shoes, very unassuming. And of the two of them, he turned out to have by far the better season, uh, much really an eye-opener, I think, even maybe for some people in the front office who didn't realize what the Pirates were getting. The guy just makes contact, and when he makes contact, he puts the ball in play. He had a, a, a 387 batting average of balls in play last year, uh, which was the fifth highest in franchise history for a minimum of 500 at-bats. He's up there with guys named Clemente and Hannes Wagner, Paul Wehner, and other Hall of Famers. Um, and he's been doing it. I wondered if it would translate over to this year as well, and he's just still doing it. He swings the bat, uh, first pitch, third pitch, 12th pitch, doesn't matter, and he sends it up the middle where he boxes it off the wall or something like that. So, you know, he's a guy – I think he has a batting title in him, and in a short, freaky season like this, it wouldn't surprise me to see him get it done. As far as a player to watch – I'm going to go on a limit and, and go back to, to the guy who was on the cart with Brian and say Cole Tucker. We saw Tuck play right field and center field last night in, in Cleveland. That's because Polanco is out and they've got to use uh, Gerard Dyson sparingly because the guy's 35 years old. So, uh, you know, they're, they're limited on their off-field options. They put Tucker out there. He never played it as a pro. Made a fantastic catch in center field. I don't know if you guys saw the highlight of it, but, you know, diving catch at the wall. Um, you could see him in between pitches looking up at the lights, trying to judge where he was at. But he's a guy who I think is going to get maybe a little bit of play time out in the outfield. And if it works out, you know, they've got a decent number of middle infielders in the system. Maybe we were here talking next year about Cole Tucker center fielder or Cole Tucker right fielder for the Pirates. It'll be an interesting summer for him. All right. We've had some requests for James to talk more. So, James, it is your turn to tell us about the White Sox. There is one request for me to talk more. Yeah, there was one. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. You want me to predict COVID ball in a 60-game schedule? I do. That's what you're here who, for. Who knows? Like, it, uh, I mean, it, 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 the, the whole like, thing of the White Sox is like there's a bunch of guys where like, the ceiling is here and the production level of their track record is here, and everyone's kind of predicting them off here because like, this is the less sexy thing to like, 
discuss. So there's a whole ton of variation. There's like a bunch of guys I could pick for the X factor. Um, the state of Luis Robert discourse around White Sox media right now is just off the reservation. People predict <laughs> he's going to like cure cancer while hitting 40 home runs. Eloy Jimenez has looked kind of off all summer, but he hit a home run last night and traditionally bad spring training towards like one good game for the end means MVP season. So I'm going to say uh, he's going to hit 20 home runs in 60 games because the ball looks very juiced still to me. And uh, why not? Uh, that's the, the park plays for it. It's the middle of July. He'll probably get randomly hot because he's looked bad for three weeks. So that, there's my bold prediction. As far as X factors, there's a lot of iffy guys who could be good or bad. Um, like Carlos Rodon obviously would be big if he suddenly tapped into the third overall pick level of stealing uh, right away. Um, Nomar Mazzara, if he became like a guy uh, after kind of four years of wandering the wilderness of Texas, that'd, that'd be big. I want to say Dylan Cease because he's a guy who's actually kind of shredded during summer and really showed command of his stuff. Okay, and if anybody out there has not done their fantasy draft, the Aloy Jimenez fan club is in <laughs> session right now. Okay, Kansas City. Alec, what can you tell us about the Royals? It's going to be interesting you're in Kansas City, and I think the first question kind of lends toward the answer, but it's, it's going to be about development and about the future. It, 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 the Royals want to win this year. They have a new manager in Mike Matheny who has – I guess, listen to the players and their wants, and winning would be their wants. Um, it's been a tough last two years. They've lost 100 games in back-to-back seasons. And I think the, the obvious prediction is that the bullpen's going to be a lot better this year than it's been. It couldn't get much worse, truthfully. And they've added a bunch of arms. Trevor Rosenthal is one of them. Um, obviously, had Tommy John a couple of years ago, but has looked really, really good since the Royals signed him. Familiarity with Mike Matheny is another thing. Um, and I think as far as predictions, the, the one thing really to note is Adalberto Mondesi is a shortstop, 24 years old, that the Royals really are high on and have been high on. But he's just struggled to stay healthy for a long time. And um, I think the Royals feel like this could be the year where he truth, truly breaks out and, and is the guy that they think he could be. And if so, I think they could, I don't know, surprise people and maybe hover around 500. The one X factor, I think, another – kind of bold prediction, I guess you could say. The Royals are really high on bullpen arm Josh Stalmont. He, he can hit 103. He's not cursing uh, like your other guys, but he, he can hit 103 as a man bun, um, and the Royals are going to use him at the back of the bullpen. So um, in terms of guys to watch, Josh Stalmont probably is one of the more underrated, under-discussed arms in all of baseball. You know, it's a pretty select group of guys who can throw 103 and have a man bun. So that's good good knowledge there. Cody, what's your Tigers prediction? Yeah, my bold prediction isn't as bold as it would have been about three days ago <laughs> before, before Jordan Zimmerman went on the IL. But, uh, yeah, as, as I alluded to earlier, I think we're going to see Casey Mize in the major leagues this season, maybe as soon as, I don't know, seven days uh, into the year. Uh, reporters had some fun with Al Avila yesterday. Avila, of course, says service time will not be a consideration in whether to promote Casey Mize. He says that because he's a GM. That's what he's supposed to say. Um, it looks like the Tigers need some help in the rotation. They have some innings. They picked Mize out of Auburn two years ago, knowing he could be a fast-track guy. He might have even exceeded those expectations. He threw a, a no-hitter in his double-A debut last year. 
actually had a minor arm issue down the stretch, um, but he's looked healthy in camp. He's got an advanced repertoire, multiple pitches, known for a split sinker, uh, split finger fastball. Um, and, and, you know, he's a young guy, but you watch him, and he, he just carries himself like a veteran. He's a smart, studious guy. He asks questions. He adapts all the, uh, all the latest technology. He's kind of what you want in a modern pitcher. He's what the Tigers hope their, their entire organization can kind of transform into. So maybe we'll get our first look at that um, this year. And then in terms of a breakout player, I'm going to go pitcher again. I'm going to go Spencer Turnbull, um, a guy who was – people almost forget he was a rookie last year because he was, you know, 25, 26, not as highly touted as a guy like Mize. Uh, his command could be all over the place. You see him throwing balls to the backstop. You see him bouncing them in the dirt. And then you look in he had a 3.99 FIP. He has a filthy curveball, a slider, a power sinker. Um, he took some cues from Matthew Boyd this offseason. Uh, you know, kind of a crazy diet. I think he got into some yoga, some biomechanical stuff. Um, but actually seems to have breathed that in and matured. And now you watch, you talk to him, he seems like a different guy. Uh, that, you know, he's, he's another kind of one of those quirky pitchers. It seems like every time you look at him, he's, he's whipping a towel against the wall or doing a crazy drill. He's got red hair, red beard. I've been trying to push the Red Bull nickname, but it hasn't really stuck. I don't know if it's a copyright deal or what. I'm in on that. I think we should call him the Red Bull, and I think he's going to have a really good year, and he'll be fun to watch. All right, we're gonna we're gonna start the campaign for Cody to be responsible for all Tigers nicknames. St. Louis, Mark Saxon, prediction time, pal. Jace, I got no man buns. I got no. I got no f bombs. You know those things don't go over well here in the heartland. Um, I wanted to do a really bold prediction that would kind of unite our two leagues and predict that the Cardinals would have Francisco Lindor playing shortstop by the end of this season. They, you know, they certainly have been looking for that, that impact player since Albert Pujols left, have not been able to acquire that guy. They thought maybe it was Paul Goldschmidt. Some people would argue he's sort of on the downslope of his career now at 32. Um, I just don't think that's going to happen though. I, if you look at the revenue hits that teams are taking, just taking on this year's salary, I think would be not terribly palatable toward to, for Cardinals ownership. So I think the player to watch on this team really is Dylan Carlson, their top prospect, who probably is going to begin the season either at their satellite camp in Springfield or on that three-man taxi squad. Everybody on this call knows why he'll spend at least six days in the minor leagues. Most fans are kind of getting hip to it now, too. He's a switch hitter with a really high baseball IQ, great approach at the plate. He doesn't strike out a lot. And I just look at a Tyler O'Neill and a Harrison Bader who have had terrible, um, you know, trouble adjusting to major league pitching, and they do have very, very high strikeout rates. I wonder if the team can sort of tolerate that. But the reason overall, and I'll wrap up here pretty quickly, the reason overall I think the Cardinals are a hell of a good bet to win this division is not just their pitching, and everybody knows about Jack Flaherty. Bullpen was solid, Dakota Hudson, Adam Wainwright. These guys, it's their defense. They were the best defensive team in the National League last year. And if you look, again, look at that rotation. Other than Jack Flaherty, they don't strike a whole bunch of guys out. They don't have to. With Paul DeYoung and, and Colton Wong, both of whom, by the way, are deserving of gold gloves, Yadier Molina at catcher, Harrison Bader at center, and some young guys in the corners, they're going to catch everything with a hump in it. and they don't throw it away a lot because they have Paul Goldschmidt at first base, who's excellent at scooping the ball. So that's a huge part of why this team has been successful. And it's 
very much a throwback kind of to the way they did in the 60s and the 80s. And here they go again. You know, it may not be exciting all the time, but it wins baseball games. They're going to need a lot more switch hitters but to, to get back to the 80s, but we'll take it. All right, let's keep it going. Will in Milwaukee. I feel like, I feel like the Brewers are a pretty decent decent to, to good bet to make the playoffs, actually. I think they could kind of sneak in there. One, of course, they have Christian Yelich, who will do some damage and carry them when it's necessary, of course, especially in a shortened season. They also have Josh Hader and a pretty intriguing bullpen. Uh, but they also have a bunch of platoon options, and so that could help them sort of avoid guys getting into slumps. They could always plug somebody else in, and big picture, that could help them avoid some long losing streaks, in theory at least. So they're, they're a pretty solid bet, I would say, to make the playoffs, at least from my perspective. The one thing I really question about them, and this will lead into my sort of breakout pick, is the quality of their starting pitching. Uh, beyond Brendan Woodruff, I, I don't know if I have a, a whole lot of faith in the rest of the starting rotation there. Um, there's reasons to like them. There's reasons to be concerned. Um, but that said, my breakout pick for the Brewers is actually somebody who had an 8.82 ERA in 50 innings last year, and that's Corbin Burns. Uh, in spring training, about 50, he threw about 15, 15 innings in spring tra- training, struck out about 12, gave up only one run. That success really carried over into summer camp so far where – Jed Jericho, I think, put it best recently where he said the dude's just been unhittable. And that's not an exaggeration. He went eight innings without giving up any any hits. Um, he was striking out everybody in the lineup up and down. He, he's looked excellent. He's up at around 97 miles an hour. The Brewers put a lot of work into uh, sort of improving his repertoire of pitches. His fastball has a lot more movement than it did last year. Slider's a big pitch for him. And the you know the curveball changeup has been has been excellent as well for Corbin Burns. And if a guy like that could um, perform a lot better, of course, not only than he did last year, but even better than what they had envisioned for him early on in his minor league career, that's a big thing for the Brewers. And that would only help increase their chances, of course. Okay, let's see. Who should do the Cubs this time around? Let's let's uh, hot have give a bold prediction. You know, maybe, I maybe Patrick <laughs> can do the X Factor. I was I've. I'm, I'm struggling with this group right now just because during spring training, I was very optimistic. I thought they were rolling. They had everything coming together, and I felt like it could be a hot start and a good, and a good season for them. I'm feeling a little pessimistic right now, but I'm going to stick with the bull prediction I was feeling in the spring, and that's you, Darvish, having a brilliant season and winning a, a Cy Young. Everybody's talking about this new pitch he was working on during the shutdown, the Supreme. It's like a splitter, two-seamer hybrid. I don't think that's going to be a huge factor. I think he, he worked on in the offseason making his four-seam fastball more spin efficient and, and making sure he can work it up in the zone. He was seeing some results with that in the spring. It's hard to see what the results have been during this time, but, but I think he's going to carry that forward. He's got such a huge pitch mix. He's finally feeling confident out there. He looks like a different person when he's on the mound. He, when he speaks to us, he's been a different person. I know that. That'd be fun. Patrick, why don't you do the X factor? I think the X factor here is the Cubs have built uh, not only their main business, but all these satellite businesses around the idea of mass gatherings. And I think you're going to see them as maybe the first team in baseball to bring fans back. I mean, they're looking at ways to claw back any revenue they can. Technically, in the state of Illinois right now, under phase four, you can have you know live sporting events. City Hall has so far not jumped uh to that conclusion yet but they're selling tickets uh to the rooftops uh we all know the cubs are built on three million fans coming into the park uh 
every single year. And uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. You know, the Cubs were talking with Javi Baez about an extension uh, in spring training that, you know, totally shut down along with everything else in the world. You have Chris Bryant, uh, who's a new, a new father, talking about how much he loves Chicago and kind of how something like this readjusts your priorities. Um, you have Rizzo, Schwarber, Contreras, Lesser, all of them in the next two years, you know, could be free agents. So I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch how they get their business back together. And I think one of the first things they're going to do is uh, get fans back into Wrigley Field. Wrigley, Wrigley Field with no people just isn't Wrigley Field. So stay tuned for that. You know, America's been waiting for Trent's bold prediction. Their wait is over. You know, this one's probably not going to be as exciting as, you know, the Cubs killing thousands of people. Um, but it is uh, – how about Nick Lodolo making his debut – uh, this year the 2019 first round pick by the reds left-hander uh was was taken out of tcu I, I keep coming back to david price in 2008 where he was the um pick the their first round pick in 2007 by the rays and then came in pitched five games at the end of the regular season and then was out of the bullpen came in out of the bullpen in the playoffs and i can see the reds doing something similar with a guy like Lodolo. I hate predictions. Oh, and so player to watch, the wild card <laughs> yeah, yeah. player. You know, I was actually going to go Joey Votto, but you, I think you kind of tried to uh, nudge me away from that because <laughs> I don't know if most people here have heard of Joey Votto. Um, so I'm going to go with Nick Senzel and uh, sticking with the high draft picks uh, theme. Uh, they have so many other guys now. Oh, suddenly they have uh, so many other guys that you kind of think of as, as being steady um, contributors. Mike Moustakis, Eugenio Suarez, Joey Votto, Nick Castellanos. I think it's Senzel. Uh, they're going to play him every day at center field. And uh, he's a guy that before, for much of his rookie year last year, he just looked like that solid guy. He was hitting around 300 getting on base early. Uh, he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. He's a lot faster than people think. I, I think he's going to be one of the big uh, keys for this team being as good as they want to be. I was sure you were going to predict a Joey Votto pop up to the first baseman, but no, wouldn't do that for us. All right, now that everybody's had a chance to talk, we're going to just go rogue. Um, in my latest comment, at The Athletic, I wrote about the eight numbers that define baseball. And one of the executives I talked to said, this is going to be twilight zone baseball. So um, I want to ask you guys what you think the weirdest thing about this season's going to be or something that's already kind of weirded you out. I'm going to start with James on this one. I know he's been thinking about it. Uh, just to start, I'm really sorry for venting all my anxieties into your Slack uh, that prompted you to what call Slack me Slack is first all place. about. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, so like uh, three days ago I guess the White Sox beat the Cubs in an exhibition game and they celebrated by like air high-fiving from five feet away all over the field and it was really bizarre if but also like it wasn't a situation where you expect them to celebrate anyway so I'm kind of wondering what's going to happen when like a team clinches a playoff berth or wins a division or wins the World Series are they all just going to like give each other a polite nod and tip of the cap and then walk <laughs> off the field Maybe sip a beer at their locker, then go home to their family that they probably haven't seen in three weeks or three months, I should say. Uh, I don't really know how all the really visceral displays of emotion that kind of highlight the best moments of baseball are all of a sudden going to take place during social distancing. It's, 
it's fine to watch them like take BP and do it with dry and emotionlessly and not interact with each other really. But I don't know how, like how does the world series that we just watched in 2019 happen without the, the emotion and closeness that uh, is no longer medically advisable. It's, it's, it's something that stuck out to me. Yeah. That's a great question. Thought about it a lot. Uh, who else? Raise hey, your can hand. I, can, I, can I follow that up real quick? Yeah, you can. It's, it's sort of the opposite side of the coin, right? Like James says, what happens when the players get really happy? How do they express that? Now, if you think of, you, you know, I'm an older guy, so I remember the late 90s when brawls were extremely common. We don't see as many of them as we do, but there's going to be a game at some point when it's hot this year, when these teams are playing each other so much, where somebody's going to get really pissed off. And when he charges out on that field, what's that going to look like? Are they going to be sort of doing this weird little dancing kind of thing, just yelling at each other? I, again, like that's going to be a strange scene. And just describing that, I think, is going to be a challenge. But it goes to what James said, and, and that is you're asking these guys to remove their normal gestures, their normal emotions. A lot of these things we're going to see, you know, how do you react with a normal human, you know, set of emotions when you can't do a lot of this stuff? Great good news is the Pirates are – Clint Hurdle's no longer managing the Pirates, so the Reds and Pirates aren't <laughs> going to have one of their 16 brawls a year. Or race. So maybe that'll be a little bit yeah. 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 They'd have to scream stuff at each other via megaphone, though, right? It'd be complicated. <laughs> Trust me, they won't. We've been in these empty ballparks. It doesn't take much to hear yeah, everybody. good point. All right, let's go to Dan. Yeah, I'm just going to jump in with the easy one. It's no fans. I mean, look, no roll call at Yankee Stadium. No Sweet Caroline at, at Fenway Park, which actually probably 29 teams' fans love that there's no Sweet Caroline at yeah, Fenway that's Park. Fine, uh, that's no okay. seventh inning stretch. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, I, having done the game with no fans in 2015 with White Sox and Orioles, it's strange. And, and uh, Dan Connolly, our Orioles writer, and I did a story on it a couple months back. We talked to everybody who basically was in that game, and, and everybody talked about how. You could hear the conversations from the bullpen. And I know that there's canned noise, and that's going to drown out some of that stuff. But we're talking about guys feeding off that emotion. And Yankee Stadium, what's, is it going to be like as imposing as it is in the regular season? I mean, yes, they're going to be able to turn the noise up as much as they want because there are no decibel limits. Um, Major League Baseball has not set any decibel limits, that kind of stuff. So they could crank up the audio. But it's going to be manufactured noise, and, and guys feed off that stuff. You think about how much time – uh, guys take in between pitches and especially in the postseason because that crowd is so imposing we're not going to have that it's going to be very strange uh, I think that just feeds back into some of the emotion stuff that uh, James was talking about earlier on yeah there was a yeah. weird thing that happened in the game in Philly the other night um, Andrew McCutcheon was up and they they were not they were having trouble getting the ambient fake crowd noise going over the PA so Andrew McCutcheon got so distracted by hearing the guys in the broadcast booth describe his at bat that he stepped out and asked him to please start the noise. Then they tried to feed the noise into the stadium, and there was this unbelievable feedback, you know, like you're at a rock concert. And they had to delay the game because of feedback. And then Andrew McCutcheon turns to the home plate umpire and asks, could we start the at bat over? Because it was 0-2. But that, for some reason, that wasn't allowed. But yeah. <laughs> that, that's what we're looking at. If I could jump up on the on the fan aspect, I, that was one of the first things I asked Craig Kimbrell about, and I'm really wondering, uh, closers feed off adrenaline. 
they how are they going to handle no fans? How do they pump themselves up? They're going to have to find different ways because I think a lot of that adrenaline obviously comes from the high leverage aspect of it. But but the fans are part of that adrenaline, and, and now they're going to have to find a different way. And, and getting even more Cubs specific, I think one of the most exciting players in the game is Javier Baez. And, and part of what makes him such a joy to write about is how everything that he does, there's this intense fan reaction to it. And, and you can feel the moment when he does something special on the field that we've never seen before, because he does it once every few weeks. You're going to see something you just – can't uh, can't imagine that it was possible and Javi pulls it off and part of it for me the enjoyment of that is the way the fans react because there's it's they're taken aback they're they're so excited when he steals home and and the way he pops up after it and pumps up the fans it's it's really special to watch it's one of it's one of the most fun things to cover and I I don't know I I know I can tell you Javi is not going to lose that he's not going to lose that energy because that's just him but I just don't know how we all react to it. How does it feel the same anymore without the fans to appreciate what, what a guy like that does? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I, I want to make sure we take a, a, a Twitter question before we go. And that just segues right into the, one of the ones that I saw, which is how do you guys feel about fake crowd noise? I mean, I, I know my personal reaction to it is like, I kind of like the ambient noise. It's comforting in a way. But when you when something happens, that's when the noise doesn't fit at all because actual crowd noise, as you were just describing, it's not volume, it's emotion, and that's irreplaceable. So who who wants to talk about just the weirdest part of fake crowd noise right now? Well, I wonder if we're going to get used to it faster than we think. I, the first day I played at Comerica Park, it was driving me insane. It sounded like a like a toilet bowl flushing or something. <laughs> uh, you know, Ron Gardenire is usually pretty blunt. They asked him, he's, he said, oh, I thought it was fantastic. And he's being sarcastic. But as time went on, you know, in just a few days, I think we kind of got used to it. Gardenhire was looking up in the press box saying, turn it up. He, he kind of liked it. Um, because it was also weird hearing all these conversations. It was weird for the players. You had uh, outfielders saying they couldn't hear, you know, they didn't know how hard a ball was hit because the, it, it was so much louder off the bat. Little things like that. Um, I noticed in just a few days I, I wasn't reacting to that crowd noise anymore. It, it felt like it was just part of it. So I wonder if that will continue. Yeah. Alec, what do you think? Since I'm here, I thought I might as well say something, right? I'm, I'm <laughs> listening to it live. Um, no, I, I, you know, it's interesting. I think at a time like this that is so different, um, I, I wonder just what it would be like if we could hear the interactions among players, among managers, umpires. I know we probably would hear a lot of what Dan is excited to hear from the Twins reliever, but I think ultimately it would be really interesting just to hear certain things. And I don't know if you would be able to hear it on television, but um, I'm with you a little bit with the ambient noise. I'm just, I'd be fascinated to hear conversations that normally we would never get to hear. That might happen. We might, we don't, I don't know if we even need to mic up the players. We might hear them anyway. I, I think that's a good point, Jason. And I think it's going to affect the competition because when you're in St. Louis or Yankee Stadium or Dodger Stadium and there's 30, 40, 50,000 fans, you're not necessarily going to hear Yadi or Molina, for example 
yelling for Tommy Edmond or Paul DeYoung to move over a few inches because of where the next pitch is coming. The other team's going to be acutely aware of all that on-field communication and the way they're playing it this year. No matter how loud they crank that ambient noise, I just don't think it's going to be the same. And that's been a topic of discussion around the Cardinals. Just, you know, they do communicate a lot. And, and to what extent, you know, do you have to come up with a whole new set of signs for defense? And there's a whole lot of aspects to this, but it's not just, you know, the F-bombs and the hostility. It's just talking to each other on the field, which is important. Yeah, you know, uh, Jeff Samarja gave up six runs in that White uh, Sox-Orioles game in the first inning. Um, And then he had to hear the Orioles offense talking about how they knocked the crap out of him, basically. He could hear every word of it. So not only did he give up the three-run homer to Chris Davis, he had to hear the guys laughing about it, too. It was a very (laughs) awkward situation. I mean, last season, uh, Tim Anderson got suspended for saying a word that basically no one except anyone on the field heard him say and didn't hear the context in which it was uttered. And I wrote that it was another failure for them to suspend him to understand the context in which it was uttered. I, I thought one thing I was excited about this season was to kind of have the context of knowing what's going on and what players are saying to each other and really understanding like what the atmosphere of the game is. And to kind of run from that moment by piping in this fake noise and make everyone feel more comfortable, I, I don't really like it as the approach of how it's not facing the reality of what we're doing right now to, to play the game in this context. Yeah, that's a great point. But guess what, guys? We have got to run. That's going to do it for our AL Central, NL Central preview extravaganza. All right, what a great discussion. Now let's bring back Doug Glanville for some predictions. Uh, Doug, I've been doing a lot of talking, so let's hear your prediction for the NL Central. I have this sneaky feeling you're going to pick the Reds. I'm going to pick the Cincinnati Reds. And, um, How about you? Yeah, you know, I'm trying to do what I do and just go off the grid. Just go off the grid right now. Well, and Jay, <laughs> good you know. Place for you. Yeah, and you know that we we try to, you know, follow these lines. And, you know, it just, especially now, we have no idea what's going to fall into place. People, teams get sick. I, I don't know. I don't wish that on anybody. But I, I think this is the year where you just try some wild stuff. So I say Cincinnati Reds that take the division because of their depth on both the pitching side and on the offense. They just have a they have a loaded offense. And if guys have career years, forget about it. So that's their offensive side. And everybody else, I, I see them battling it out. I mean, you have the Cubs, Brewers, and Cardinals. I, I think they're just going to be jockeying for position the entire season long. And in some ways, you know, it's just going to be who stays the healthiest out of that group. You know what? This is so hard. I, I really see all four of these teams being 32 and 28 kind of teams. Um, if I had a hunch I was going to play, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I just have this gut feeling that it's the Reds' turn. Um, they're really built to win this year. This is their window right now. Um, but I, you know what? I think both wildcard teams come out of this division. I think the Cubs and Cardinals finish a game behind the Reds, and we have a Cubs Cardinals wild card game. Epic! I would definitely watch that. Oh, yeah. um, all right, how about the AL Central, Doug? Give me your prediction on that one. Well, my South Side. This I know this is like tragic for my my Cubs family over there, but I, I see the White Sox. <laughs> being a team that is out of nowhere. I mean, they have some young talent, and this is also their year. They have invested in some young players that are now 
developed, you know, Moncada, Tim Anderson, Jimenez. I mean, th- these guys, I mean, this lineup, 123 RBIs for Jose Abreu. So I see them gelling really well, especially with some guys like Luis Robert, Robert coming up. And and then from there, you know, I see, so I'm, I'm going to throw the title to the White Sox of that division. Are you? And then, uh, yes, I am. So, <laughs> and then, for you know, I think wild card, you know, certainly could be a team like Cleveland. And uh, I'm, my bold prediction is actually saying that the Twins won't make the playoffs, which which could be completely ridiculous, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Wow. I, see, I think the Twins have a special lineup. Uh, I love the Josh Donaldson signing. I think uh, Luis Arias, uh, <laughs> over a full season, takes a run at 400, 400 <laughs> right. wins the batting title. I see Jose Barrios as a cool outside-the-box Cy Young threat. I think the Twins are going to go something like 36 and 24 and actually win this division easily. Um, I mean, my question is, do the White Sox pass the Indians? And obviously you think so. It wouldn't shock me. Um, So let's just let's play. Stay tuned. All right. That's going to do it for this special NL Central AL Central season preview edition of Starkville. We'll be back tomorrow to preview the NL East and AL East with our 10 writers who cover those teams. Until then, thanks for joining us on Starkville. Starkville.